and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, y'all. My name's Elena. Uh, I'm a part-time youth librarian at the Central Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm John. I'm a part-time employee at the library. I uh, am retired, and my pronouns are he, him. Thank you both for joining us, both Elena and John. Lead two of our different book groups here at Cranston Public Library. So they'll talk to us about that a little later in the show. But before we get to that, let's start off with what have you currently been reading for book club or no? Um, well, for me, I just started Marie Lu's Legend series. So it's a YA dystopian. It came out like 2013, 2012. Um, it's basically a copy and paste of The Hunger Games. Not loving it. Not loving it. Oh. I just finished the main trilogy um, and the fourth book came out back in 2019. So I think I'm going to bang it out today, to be honest. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's because like I myself am past that prime. I'm 23 and that stuff came out when I was like 14, 15. Maybe I'm just over it. I'm not vibing with it. But otherwise... That's what I'm that's what I'm kicking with. That's what I'm starting my year off. And then I should be jumping into my my book group's first pick of the month. So that's what I'm digging into. Awesome. What about you, John? Well, uh, I read mostly nonfiction. So I'm in the middle of uh, a book, a fairly recent book called Fossilman about the um, paleo anthropologists uh, digging in Ethiopia. Uh, I'm also reading The Graves of Walking about the Irish uh, famine. Uh and I just finished uh, The Last Days of the Incas, which was a very interesting book about the uh, the Incas' ongoing rebellion against Pizarro and the Spanish conquistadors that didn't end well. So a lot of cheery stuff. <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk a little about the first book you mentioned? Oh, The Fossil Men. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting book because not only is it about paleoanthropology, but it's also about the politics of um, digging for bones. It's the search for uh, man's um, relationship where it's split from the uh, gorillas and chimpanzees. Uh, and actually, they found uh, evidence that if you remember when Lucy was discovered, these this... Um, skeleton is actually older than Lucy, which keeps driving uh, the ascent of man further back into history. But a lot of it has to do with the um, problems, political and, and uh, economic problems of Ethiopia and how they impact all these people digging and the politics of uh, paleoanthropology. It is a cutthroat business <laughs> and it's amazing uh, how, how it degenerates into a fight for funding. Uh, and it reads, it's a great read. I, I'm really enjoying it. Wow, that's really interesting. Because So if I remember correctly, Lucy was supposed to be the mitochondrial mother of humanity, right? Like where Correct. they tracked back humanity's mitochondrial DNA. Right, right. So, she was about three to three and a half million years old. Ardi, A-R-D-I that they found, they named, they've got it back to about five million years old. Wow. So, and on top of that, they've actually discovered other branches of, of uh, how to say this, the homo 
uh, species that died out. So not only were there Neanderthals, but there are actually now others that they've discovered. Very interesting. And it's written for a layperson. It's not a heavy, heavy lift. That just makes me think of, and I forget where I read this, but I was reading something about the fact that some people have like a registerable, de- detectable amount of Neanderthal DNA now, all of these thousands of years later, means our ancient ancestors were uh, were hooking up with near-human, human-like species, but not Homo sapiens, like a fair amount. And there's also evidence that these particular sites in Ethiopia have discovered that there might have actually been some warfare between some of the the early man uh, and some cannibalism, possibly. So uh, it's it's a, it's a very good read. It's an interesting read, and I, I'm trying to read more science. <laughs> so here we go. Well, it sounds like a good one. As someone who tends to not read nonfiction, it sounds it sounds really interesting. Um, so I last night just read uh, "The Girl from the Sea," which is a graphic novel. Um, I'm probably gonna butcher her last name, but I do have it here: Molly Knox Ostertag. But it was a very lovely, like, romance graphic novel. Uh, It basically was The Little Mermaid, but no one gives away their agency for true love. And both of them are girls. So, sapphic, Little Mermaid. So, it was a really fun read. This was for committee work, and I'm probably going to score it fairly well. I think it will scratch the itch of teens that are looking for that, like, queer romance graphic novel without it being kind of like a cookie cutter of a lot of the other ones. Cause it seems like that genre is kind of filled with a lot of things that are very similar, like Heartstoppers and, and Bloom and were all kind of things that had a very similar vibe. And after a while you're like, I feel like I've read this before. So I like the kind of like magical realism element to this one. It was a lot of fun. And the art is very beautiful. It's like soft, but like very saturated colors. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. It reminded me of Ponyo. Is it Ponyo, the Studio Ghibli movie? Yeah. yeah. I like that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Ponyo for teenagers. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, so besides books, have either of you been watching or listening to anything lately? Well, the weekend before Christmas, I saw the new Spider-Man movie. Phenomenal, dare I say. (laughs) Perfect, spectacular, over-the-top, talented, stunning, gorgeous, like all the above. I cried for like 75% of the movie. And it's so funny because when you go to the theaters, you know, like if you're not eating, you have to wear your mask. And I went with my parents and my younger brother. Um, And so my mom was sitting next to me. And I can hear her like halfway through the movie, like, <gasps> I'm like, oh my gosh, like, is my mom okay? You know what I mean? Like, do I nudge her shoulder and ask if she's okay? But like, I really don't want to step out due to a medical emergency. Um, So it wasn't until after we stepped out or whatever, you know, I pulled my mom aside and I was like, you okay? Like, do you need your inhaler? Should we go to the car? What's up? She was like, no, no, no. Like, I was crying. So anyways, yeah, my mom, my mom was like a goldfish next to me, a goldfish out of her tank next to me, just (gasps) the whole time. So it was pretty funny, but I don't know. 
I guess I should have prioritized her. Otherwise, the movie was great. Like halfway through, I was like, lay me down to rest. I'm at peace. I've lived for everything I could have seen. Like, so that's what I've enjoyed. And I've just been living off that for the past like two or three weeks now. Are you a big Spider-Man fan? Yes. Yes. Like I, I haven't been convinced of Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but this movie take. Was a bit for me. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. It, it took a while. You know what I mean? Because like I grew up mostly with the Tobey Maguire one. Like I used to watch that movie every week religiously. Like I used to be able to quote it like the back of my hand. So like I was never against all the other Spider-Mans, but Toby, you know, he's got a special place in my heart. But now I'm convinced I'm okay. Like glad to hear the new Spider-Man was so satisfactory for you. <laughs> uh, what about you, John? Well, I've been uh, I haven't gone too much to the movies, so I've been watching uh, TV shows on DVD from the library. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm on season two of The Terror, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, and it's set in the uh, internment camps during World War II, the Japanese internment camps in World War II in uh, Oregon and California. It's an interesting take on uh, Japanese mythology and ghost stories. I also started a series called Berlin Station, which is uh, contemporary, uh, set obviously in Berlin, U.S. CIA office in Berlin. A lot of skullduggery going on there. And one of my favorite series from uh, Acorn is uh, the Brokenwood series, which is set in New Zealand. And the lead detective is a cowboy country music fan, which is okay, I guess. Each episode is about an hour and a half and there's recurring characters and there's some humor and wit and some crazy stuff going on. And I really enjoy it. They're up to seven years, seven seasons. So uh, I think it's really good. I did see one movie that I highly recommend uh, I saw Dune, and I, I think the only way to see Dune is at at the movies on a big screen, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's quite different from the if you're my age, you remember the Dune with Sting in it and uh, Kyle MacLachlan, and I can't remember the other actors. They were from the 1980s or something. Uh, David Lynch originally directed that, but this Dune is really good. I really enjoyed it. I feel like I need to watch it again. To fully, so we watched it on HBO Max. So I guess I can't watch it again until it's like out, out, because the 30 days are up. But we watched it on HBO Max while it was on there concurrently with it being in the movies. And I don't know, I went into it with like a little bit of knowledge because I had read a graphic novel adaptation of Dune, which only adapted part of it because they had plans to make more volumes, but they haven't come out yet. So, like, I went into it with the idea of how the story, that part of the story was told in the graphic novel. And then this movie parts of it were, like, different. I don't know. It was a lot to wrap my head around because I hadn't ever read the novel. But my boyfriend read the novel and he was like, oh, my God, Dune was so good. It, uh, it like, exceeded my expectations. It was such a good adaptation. It was so good. And I was like, so I, <laughs> I kind of felt like after that, I was like, do we watch the same movie? But maybe I need to, like remove any of my preconceptions from my mind and and just go into it again for what it is. The thing you have to remember about the Dune series is that a lot of this has to do with politics hmm. or what group or family or house is going to ascend to supreme authority. So it's no different than a political story about economics and, and, and power and greed, but set in a different thing. 
The reason why I suggest seeing it in a big screen is the cinematography is fabulous. Uh, I, I just thought they did a superb job of filming it too. I, I'm, I'm very excited to see the sequel or the second part of it. Have you read the whole series? I read three of the books and I am not a science fiction kind of guy. And I, I, I think they're pretty, pretty mesmerizing, but they're, they're not, it's not a linear story. You have to really keep the characters and the plot in line because there's a lot going on, you know? Um, so in terms of what I've been watching, we're, we're going to throw it back to the first ever episode of the podcast. Our bad audio quality, our figuring out how to make a podcast was the last time I mentioned the show, but the new season is out now, um, which is Letter Kenny which is a Canadian comedy show on Hulu. Um, lots of mature language and mature themes. So just be aware going into it. But it is a very funny show. It's about a small town in, I think they're in Ontario. And um, there's like a town of 5,000 people. And it's just like a very rural town filled with a bunch of like quirky people who get into hijinks and have a very singular sense of humor. Um, but I thought this season was very well done and kind of went back to their roots on what really made them funny. They were like trying out some stuff the last few seasons, I feel like, which didn't always hit as well. But this season they went back to their roots and um, and it was as enjoyable as it always is. So if you did not take my recommendation way back or you've not been listening since the first episode, if you are amused and not offended by mature humor and themes, this show is for you. Um, so, John, I know we were talking about music before you came on and you and you wrote a lot of things down. So if you could pick one artist that you really want to let everyone know about that you've been listening to, I, I don't want I don't want you to lose your chance to share. Um, one, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, I found uh, a CD done by Phil Collins in 1999. It's a live performance with a big, big band jazz orchestra. It's called Hot Night in Paris. If if you like Phil Collins and you like his music, you'll sort of recognize the songs, but because they're, they're jazzed up, so to speak, it's just a fun album. You can clean house to it. It's, you know, you get that thread of the song that you recognize, and then the the musicians do solo pieces in and out of out of each particular song. A great album, love it. Well well produced CD, uh, uh, nice clarity, nice sound, big sound. No singing, and like I said, you can clean house to it, you can dance to it, you can do whatever you want to it. So that that would be my my one pick. Okay, you lo you lost me with the no singing. I'm very much like a, a vocals <laughs> oh. person. Oh yeah, yeah. Is, <laughs> so I was like, wait, no, he's not singing. Oh, all right, none, okay. none. He's just playing the drums. So <laughs> okay, at least the drums are in there. Because whenever, yeah. whenever anyone says Phil Collins, all I just think of in my head is do 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 do. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. In yep. my head, it's like Foley work for his name. Like he has yep. a sound effect in, in my brain. Right. He does not do that song on this album. <laughs> oh, bummer. And, you know, a lot a lot of these rock guys, you know, they, when they were kids, they listened to a lot of jazz. And uh, uh, especially in England, they listened to Skiffle and Ska and things like that. And so it's in their blood. So they like expanding the horizon a little bit. You can only play 
in the air so many times. <laughs> you know? And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Rhode Island Radio Online is the latest offering from Rhode Island Public Libraries. Rhodey Radio is a weekly podcast that brings you voices from your neighbors around the state. Enjoy lectures, stories, and conversations with local artists, performers, experts, and scholars selected for you by Rhode Island librarians. You can find Rhodey Radio at rhodeyradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're listening to Rhodey Radio, you know you're listening to something good. Looking for another way to keep up with what's going on at the Cranston Public Library? Sign up for our email newsletter. You'll be among the first to learn about upcoming programs for kids, teens, and adults, and new services and collections coming to your library. Subscribe at cranstonlibrary.org. All right, well now I want to move on to what you both came here to talk about, which is the book groups that you lead for Cranston. Um, so Elena, you are co-leading a new book group here at Cranston Public Library that I'm very excited about. And I hope that our patrons are excited about as well, because I think it's a really great project. Of course. So it's actually co-run by Cassidy and I. We're both part-time librarians. She works mostly at William Hall and I'm here at Central. Um, it actually started off as a joke, believe it or not. I remember it was Cassidy, our coworker Amanda and I working at Circulation one night. And I realized that the three of us sort of had similar reading styles, different in their own way, but similar enough to like justify us talking about some books. And I jokingly around said, oh, we should do a cool girls book group. How fun would that be? And they're like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. And then that was it. And then Cassidy came to me like two months later. She's like, okay. So like, what's happening? Let's do this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't know I was supposed to be working on it. Nobody came back to me about it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we started working on it this past fall. And it began as a female-centered group. So we wanted materials written by women, for women, with the inclusion, of course, of non-binary and our trans girlies. So we were having a really hard time uh, coming up with our book group name. One night I sent Cassidy like 15 emails. I was like, what do you think of this? What about that? Or here are like the elements I researched that a book group name should have. Um, and I was like, you know what? Let me look at my bookshelf because I feel like I feel like I could really plagiarize something from a book title. <laughs> and I happened to look to my bookshelf. And on the bottom shelf, I had Girl, Woman, Other by Miss Bernadine Evaristo. Uh, and it was just perfect. It was just perfect because, like I said, it, it's it's a book group that we wanted for women. And again, with the inclusion of non-binary and trans women, and we wanted it to be for teens and up. So we wanted to have um, those topics and those different perspectives of young women versus, you know, people my age who are in college versus older women. Like I think about if I were in high school and I read Maggie Nelson, I would have such a different viewpoint on her literature versus who I am now as someone in their last year of grad school versus who I am in like 25 years. You know what I mean? And I think that'd be a really interesting discussion 
not only with myself, but with other people. Um, and then thanks to Zach, one of our adult librarians, he connected us to Meg Donnelly over at the One Cranston Health Equity Center. And she has her own book group there. Um, and it just it just worked out perfect because she wanted to read Girl, Woman, Other as one of the first books of the year. And that's how we knew that it was meant to be. And so here we are. Um, now it's for everyone. We're trying to include uh, patrons about like 12 to 14 and up. So we're going to be covering a variety of genres, of age groups. Uh, there's a possibility of there being an additional group uh, beside ours for younger audiences where both groups would essentially have like a crossover month um, and just deal with lighter material for them. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we're hoping to address a lot of marginalized groups and talk about the intersectionality between gender, race, sex, class, and so forth. Uh, that being said, when I've talked to the group, talk about the group to other people, like especially outside the library, they sort of have this perception that the book group is uh, an anti-racist book group. I would like to clarify here, it is not an anti-racist book group. If it was, we'd be reading much more radicalized text, not to mention an anti-racist book group does more outside the book group. It's a whole lifestyle change. Uh, what we're doing here is what I would call a stepping stone in a very shallow pond. We're trying to just introduce topics and subject matter that, you know, some of our patrons might not be, have the access to to talk about at home or in other spaces and for it to be a space where we can welcome those conversations and questions, especially because I feel like Cassidy and I are both people of color. Cassidy is biracial and I'm Hispanic. And we like to think that because, you know, we're people of color, um, our patrons would be more willing to ask certain questions uh, in this space. We're definitely hoping for that. That's what Meg also had shared with us. She was like, you know, I'm young, sure, but I'm also white, so I can't speak to every subject matter. Um, so we're hoping that, you know, we can bring in our own life experiences and share that also with our patrons. And so that's that. It's super exciting. I'm ecstatic. It is exciting. And just a point to clarify from what I'm understanding from what you're describing, that's just not like the intention and the the yeah. the purview of your book group. Your your book group's focus has has a little bit of another mission. Yeah. So we'll address topics and themes of anti-racism in a lot of the books we have. I mean, one of our books is called uh where is it? I have a list here. Uh, belly of the beast the politics of anti-fatness as anti-blackness you know what i mean so we'll definitely be talking about that but it's going to be more on that subject matter like again the intersectionality anti-racism so many levels it's just one topic of many um it's not that we won't ever talk about it we 100 percent will it's just not the main theme it's not the core of the group the core of the group is to open up discussion on so much more um amongst our marginalized communities that we don't necessarily have the opportunity to have. And so if people want to find out more about that, they can check out cranstonlibrary.org. And if people are local and would like to attend that book club, that will be the second Tuesday of each month at 6.30. And my um, email is on the event calendar page. So if you ever have any questions, please, please feel free to email me. I'm more than happy to talk about this stuff. I've had a couple of emails talking about the subject matter and stuff, um, and it's been a great time. Fantastic. And so, John, do you want to talk a little bit about the book club that you lead, or do you have a co-facilitator, or it's just you? Uh, I'm entirely to blame. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so this is the uh, nonfiction uh, book group, and we've we've moved the group to the fourth Wednesday of the month, and we meet every other month. So we'll we do six books a year rather than twelve. And by nonfiction, we cover we, we have some things about science, some titles about science, but it's not science to learn science. It's more like the history of science or the history of of uh, plagues or pandemics and things like that. We have biography. We do some history. We did The Furious Hours, which was about uh, Hopper Lee and uh, a serial killer in Alabama. So there's some murder mystery type stuff embedded in there. Um, we've done uh, Hidden Figures, uh, which was about the the uh, black women who uh, helped NASA and actually did a lot of work during World War II on fighter planes and things like that. Um, we're going to do Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods to lighten things up a little bit. Um, and we try, I try and keep the books below 300 pages. Uh, and I try to be sure that they're written for uh, the layperson. So they're not academic in nature because we're trying to generate discussion and some thought on what if kind of questions. So the first book we did was Candace Millard, Destiny of the Republic, about the assassination of uh, James Garfield. And there was a lot of what if kind of things. What if the doctors hadn't listened to other people? Instead, they had closed off Garfield from other opinions about his health. Uh, we've we've done a book that was not, I thought was a great book, was Mary Roach's Stiff about cadavers, uh, which is a very entertaining, bizarre book. Uh, so you can see we do a lot of different things. Uh, the, the the next book we're doing is The Mapmaker's Wife, which is about a woman and a man in the 1700s. They're French. One is on one side of the Amazon. One is at the other end of the Amazon. And it takes 20 years for them to – their uh, husband and wife takes 20 years for them to find each other again. So that's our book in February. But we have um, – like I said, A Walk in the Woods. We have Tara Westover's Educated on the list. We have David McCullough's Pioneers. Um, we have Elizabeth Colbert's Sixth Extinction, um, which sort of dovetails with Fossil Men because <laughs> on the rate we're going, we may be, they may be digging us up. <laughs> so that's the story on that. Yeah, so it sounds like if anyone made a goal or New Year's resolution to read more nonfiction, uh joining the nonfiction book group might be a great way to do that. And the bi-monthly thing means that you also have time to be in another group on the off month. Absolutely. So that's really convenient. Um, so yeah, why we're, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're different nights bi-monthly uh, for the nonfiction one. So easy to hop in and out of other groups. So while we're talking about the groups that we have at Cranston, I thought I'd mention some other groups if neither of these groups appealed to our listeners, even though I don't know why they wouldn't because they both sound fabulous. Um, but for those of you who um, enjoy cooking, uh, there is a cookbook club at the Central Library. Um, there is the Cover to Cover Book Club which uh, reads in a variety of eclectic fiction titles. So if you're looking for something that's a little bit of everything fiction-wise, um, you could drop into that book club, which is the third Thursday of each month. Uh, Dave, our audio engineer, runs the Graphic Novel Book Club. Um, so if you are as big of a fan of comic books, graphic novels, and manga as 
a lot of us here at CPL are, feel free to drop in to that book club. There's also the Hidden in the Stacks book club, which uh, dives into some lesser known literary fiction. So if literary fiction is your jam, that's the book club for you. There's Midweek Medley, which reads a variety of fiction, nonfiction titles. So if you want a real grab bag of titles, they meet the third Wednesday of each month. Then there's Modern Mystery for our mystery lovers, which meets the fourth Monday of each month in the afternoon at 3 p.m. There is our YA for Adults book group. So if you love YA and you want to talk to other not teenagers about YA, um, you can chat with our teen services librarian and her group the fourth Wednesday of each month at 6.30. And there is also reading in the hall at William Hall Library if William Hall is your home library and that's the fourth Wednesday at 6.30. There is more information on our webpage. We'll have a link that'll take you right to that page in the show notes. Um, but before we wrap up, I just quickly wanted to talk to you guys about what do you think makes a good book group? Like what is your tips if someone wants to start a book group or be a good participant in a book group? Well, uh, I think, and I've seen this, I'm sure we all have, people who participate in a book group need to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> for starters, uh, uh, I, I can't tell you how many times you get, you know, 10 or 12 people and there's one or two said, I didn't read the book. Well, you know, that doesn't, that's not helpful. <laughs> you need to so read the like, book. So like, especially with these books at Cranston, would you prefer people say, oh, I'm not going to come this month because I didn't get a chance to read the book? Would you prefer, is that like good etiquette to just be like, I'll be back next month when I have more time to I, read? I think it's prepared. okay. I think it's okay to come to the book discussion, but I don't think you should be discussing anything if, if you haven't read the book. Uh, okay. It might be interesting to hear what other people's thoughts are about the book. That's the basic thing. You want everybody to read the book. The other thing is, God, you don't want anyone to dominate 45, 50, 60 minutes of the conversation uh, with stories about what they did last week. <laughs> you know, you want to stay on, on uh, target. I think, Preparation has a lot to do with it. You want to pre-write your questions, at least a, a starting questions. Uh, you can move from there. But I think you want to be prepared to keep the, the ball rolling in the uh, within a in a timely fashion so that someone doesn't, um, you don't get off onto other tangents. Yeah, I'm newer to this. So I'm going to heavily rely on what John has to say. Um, but like in regards to patrons coming in and, and not reading the material, that's why... I made sure when we did our book selections, I made sure they were across a variety of formats, mama. I was like, no excuses. Come in, let's <laughs> talk about it. I want you in the conversation, but I'm not just giving you a print book. I want to make sure there's large print copies, there's audio books, there's the digital downloads, there's the digital ebook. We have two months in our schedule where we're by the book for the patrons. One of those, I want to do a quick shout out because I can. And it's the Heartstopper series for Pride Month, June, right? So like, there's no excuse because we're giving you an entire graphic novel series. So read the book. I mean, I won't be angry with you if you don't. Please come to the book group, but read the book. Um, another thing is that I think book groups are intimidating, right? And like, that's kind of why we call them book groups and not book clubs, because, you know, it, may, it seems less inclusive. Um, it out. It's okay. I'm nervous too. I'm scared as heck, dude. Like, I would say, like, just 
let it out. Just like Bucci said, I, whenever I've gone to a book group meeting, I always pre-write my thoughts out. I pre-write my questions because, you know, something we always think is th- no question is too dumb. You know what I mean? You're better off asking it than holding it in and never getting any type of answer. Um, otherwise, I, f- I feel like that that's it. And if you want to start a book group, do it. It doesn't matter if it's just you and somebody else or, or if it's just you, you know, talk to the void, start a YouTube channel, like start a bookstagram. Talking into a void, again, is better than keeping it into yourself. So just do it. That's that's literally what Cassidy and I are doing. Right. What did I say? It started off as a joke and she was like, OK, put in the work, Elena, you know, so just do it. You know, uh, sometimes you get people who have the opposite reaction. They don't want to uh, participate or they don't want to discuss anything. So uh, I, I'm the kind of guy who calls on people. <laughs> so if I see you're you're just sliding or you're afraid to be forward about your comments, I will I will do what I can to get you to participate and call on you. And I think the other thing too is be prepared for somebody say, I hated the book or I didn't like the book or it didn't speak to me in some way. It's okay. I mean, that's a valid comment. One little thing I do though now, and it's sort of like what you did, Taylor, at the very beginning. At the end of the session, I leave enough time so that everybody can choose one title that they've read from any place, any other title book they've read, and they have like a minute to talk, tell the, the the group what they what they're reading. Did they like it? Did they not like it? What's it about? One minute, and you go around a circle, and I think what happens is you force that eventually the line comes to you and you have to participate, you know? So I think that's a, that's a little, I save it for the end so we don't get off on it, but it's it's a little gimmicky, but it's just to draw people out again to feel comfortable in the group. Yeah, no, I, I like think that's that. great. Cause then like, if you shared about your book last time, maybe you feel more comfortable to get into the discussion about the book for next month. Exactly. And also it gives the leader a chance to maybe, uh, steal a couple of ideas (laughs) (laughs) and then that person who shared it is like all set for that month they're like done exactly (laughs) yeah zach does something like that for his hidden in the stacks book group he starts it off by having um each person in a group share an adjective that they think describes the book so yeah that's a good idea i like that idea (laughs) (laughs) so icebreakers are important another Mm -hmm. great element to get people going so, John, you said you call on people. Do you feel like your book group likes that and appreciates, like, the accountability or no? Um, no, I, I think I think they like it. I think they like it. Uh, I think I think one is you're recognizing them. Hmm. Uh, and two, um, you're saying all these other people have said something and we want to hear from you. Your voice is what you have to say is as valid as anybody else's. So don't be afraid. You know, come on in. Yeah. And ultimately, this is book groups are about having fun. You know, it's supposed to be an enjoyable thing. Hopefully you find a group that you drive with and that they're reading books that you enjoy. But um, Elena was saying about being intimidated. It's like it's not school. It's not, you know, uh, it's not life or death. It's it's just supposed to supposed to be fun. Absolutely. All right. So we wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish related question. So this week, I thought I would ask you both, do you judge a book by its cover? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do. I think when I was younger, I was definitely more pulled into books based on just like 
a gut feeling and I do still feel that way sometimes. Um, but now like there's something about having an aesthetically pleasing bookshelf to me or an aesthetically pleasing pile of books or even just looking cute reading a book just makes the experience like that much more better. Of course, it's not why I read, but it does help the reading experience for me. Um, and I get my books from like a variety of different sources. I don't just rely on Barnes and Nobles. Like I go to Savers, you know, I go to thriftbooks.com. I get books from Depop, eBay, Target. Um, and I go to Book Depository if I want a specific cover of a book, which I do often. I I buy so many like Europe covers of books because they're so much more prettier than the U.S. ones. I just don't know what's wrong with our publishing industry because they're doing it right over there and not over here. In my opinion, that's that. But yeah, 100% I do. And I think we all do it. We don't like to admit it, but it's something that, you know, we all do. Bucci? <laughs> I was going to say, do you have anything to uh, add, John? I, uh, uh, I, I don't uh, use the cover as a litmus test for a book, uh, although I think it can help occasionally it attracts you. Um, actually, what I really like is the format. I love paperbacks. And I'm talking about large paperbacks because I find at my advanced stage of life that hauling around 600 page books, they're just too damn heavy. <laughs> so, so I like those paperbacks. And also if you like to read while you're lying on the couch or something, when you fall asleep and it hits you in the head, it doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> so, but I do like, I like, I like the, uh, um, the convenience of a nice lightweight paperback. So that that's that I'm attracted to. So many times I'll see a title where it's a hardcover book. It's like 600 pages. I'm going, forget it. I'll wait till it comes out in paperback. <laughs> Are you picky about like font or even like the texture of paper and stuff like that? I know some readers that are. I'm always intrigued by that. No, but I do like to have, a, again, and this is a function of age, which you all will find someday. You know, I've picked up some books where the print is so small. And it's a it's a it's such a hard task to read and, and 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 the sentences are crammed on the page. So I think I think the visual uh appeal in terms of the font, the print, the size of the print, the the pages, I think that's important, you know. I've given this question on the show before, so I've expressed my opinion before, but I'm kind of in the school with Elena, but the additional part of it being like, I used to kind of feel bad about judging books for their covers before, but now, especially kind of being in the industry or at least industry adjacent that we see and buy a lot of books, um, I kind of feel like I was like, it's, it's, it's part of their advertising and their PR and they have a whole team of people who are working on it. Like the graphic designers that they pay PR people, like marketing people, it's all part of the publishing industry. So, so I feel less bad because part of it part, I feel like it's like, that's on you to intrigue me to read the book, you know, like that's part of your marketing. If you drop the ball on the marketing then that's, you know, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I try, I don't book base my own books like solely on the cover, but of course it helps. And, you know, now as like a part-time youth librarian, because, you know, our past listeners would know I was one circulation. In case you're paying attention, I'm moving up the ladder. Yes, um, we love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but now as a part-time youth librarian, I feel like, I mean, it's been a personal goal of mine to read more like middle grade books in particular, more YA, but now... I'm sort of 
trying to open my own eyes to covers that are outside my zone. And I look at them and I think that's so ugly, but that book is so popular that I'm going to pick it up anyways. And maybe, maybe one day they'll change their mind about how they do some of these fantasy, fantasy covers or whatever, you know, I avoiding my own personal gripes with the covers. It's a work, it's a working process for me, but yeah, no, I agree with both y'all. Yeah. I don't want to make it sound like I solely choose what I read based on the covers too but yeah, no. it's but like I said it, I feel less bad about it because I'm like it's human nature and and that's part of the whole that's part of the job of the publishers to try to sell me on the books make a book that looks good that makes me want to read it if you don't do that then maybe I won't read it just like you know just like all the choices we make about buying things that you know buy this brand of toothpaste because it looks better than another brand maybe you know like that's just mm -hmm. the the whole the whole discipline of marketing is based on that we pick what we gravitate towards and what we don't gravitate towards like aesthetically so and we and in the teen book award committee we have a lot of conversations especially the past few years about book covers and we're like this was such a good book but the cover's awful and I'm and I'm so upset that the cover's awful because now teens aren't going to want to read it. <laughs> so I'm a little more cognizant of it since starting in that committee, just because like we'll have conversations about like P.S. the cover is awful or like P.S. the cover is great, hooray! Uh, so yeah. <laughs> well, thank you both for joining me um, this afternoon, and thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us and tell us what you think about book covers, do you, and if you judge a book by its cover, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org, or you can now reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening, and this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Cassidy Mills, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.